Again, thanks for uh, coming tonight. From the brothers and sisters in Nepal, I bring the Christian message of welcome, James C. As the ability to read is a gift from our Lord God Almighty, I urge everyone to honour him by picking up your Bibles and turning with me to Psalm 1 on page 383. Blessed, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does, prosper. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. If you now can join me on page 685 for Matthew 7, 13 to 29. Matthew seven thirteen to 29. Enter through the narrow gate, for, the wide, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognise them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit you will recognise them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore... Anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Scott. I begin by um, asking you tonight... What is the the biggest decision that you've made in life? Just think about that question. What's the biggest decision that you've ever made in life? Maybe you're thinking about that time when you sat with a a contract for a house and you're thinking, can I really do this? 
I'm signing this contract to pay this mortgage for the next 25 years. It's a pretty big decision, isn't it, to, to buy a house? Uh, maybe you're thinking about uh, the decision to go down a particular career path. Uh, that, that first job that you took that sets you on that career path, that's a massive decision. When I got married, people said to me, Paul, it's the biggest decision you're going to make. And I wanted to say to them, yeah, it is a big decision, but it's not the biggest decision I'm going to make. The biggest decision that I ever made happened in a room in Oxford in the UK in about May 1990. When as a 20-year-old undergraduate student, I just sat by my bed and I prayed a simple prayer. Lord, I need your help. Lord, thank you for dying for me. Lord Jesus, thank you for giving me life. Now, that's the biggest decision I ever made 20 years ago. That's the decision that's transformed my life. It's the biggest decision that every man, woman, or child will ever make. To recognize they're a sinner, to repent of their sin, to look at the cross, to look at Jesus dying in your place, and just cling to that cross for forgiveness and for hope and for eternal life. I just want to ask you right at the beginning of this sermon, have you made that decision? I'm not asking whether your parents took you to church as a child. I'm not asking how many times you, you come to church by the bridge. I'm not asking you what you do here, what areas you serve here. I'm asking you a pointed question. Have you personally made a decision to follow Jesus Christ? Are you sure? Are you sure that you're actually a disciple of Jesus Christ? Because that is the question that Jesus finishes the Sermon on the Mount with. That's the climax of the sermon. Are you sure that you're really my disciple? How do you know? And Jesus has said some radical stuff in this sermon. He's challenged us as to who are really blessed. It's not the happy people. The blessed people are those who come to God with empty hands and say, God, I'm poor in spirit. I need your forgiveness. Thank you for your mercy. The blessed people who are those who are meek, who are humble, who are peacemakers. He's challenged us. If you really are my disciple, you can make a difference. You can be salt and light in this world. If you're really my disciple, you will be radically righteous uh, with your eyes, with your lips, with the way that you, you approach your enemies, your relationship marked by truth and grace and love. If you're really my disciple, you know, when, when you gather together, it won't be about you. You won't be seeking the glory for you. It will be about your Savior, Jesus Christ. If you're really my disciple, then your treasure will be in heaven, not here on earth. So how do you know? How do you know that you really are a disciple of Jesus? That's how Jesus finishes his sermon. I always find the conclusions of sermons the hardest thing to write. You ever spotted that with a preacher? Uh, there's the different ways you end a sermon. Either you just fizzle out and say a quick prayer, or you, you repeat your three points, or like an aeroplane that comes to land. You come into land, you take off again, you come into land, you take off again, and, and you're sitting there thinking, come on, finish this sermon. So how does Jesus finish the most famous sermon ever preached? He does not say, 
Well, that's it, folks. It's been a fun couple of hours preaching the Sermon on the Mount. Off you go, back to your village, just, just carry on and make a few changes in life. He does not say, Church by the Bridge, you've had seven weeks of preaching on the Sermon on the Mount. Go home, uh, put those sermon notes into a file somewhere, file it away, tick the box. We've done Sermon on the Mount. What's next? He says, Church by the Bridge, are you really sure you're living as a disciple of Jesus? Because it's got to change the way that you live. And he leaves us with three words. The first word is the word assurance. He wants to assure you. He wants to encourage you. He wants to make certain that you really are his disciple. He's pretty blunt. There are two ways, two roads, two gates, two destinations. Have you ever seen that sign on that window in the housing commission in the rocks as you walk over the bridge, as you drive over the bridge? It's just got three words. I love it. One way, Jesus. One way, Jesus. That's basically what Jesus is saying. I am the way. Verse 13, he says, Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Before we look at these two roads, please note that word enter in verse 13. We know the gate is Jesus. The narrow gate is Jesus. In John chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the gate. But that word enter is an active word. You must take a deliberate decision to enter. You will never stumble into the Christian faith. You'll never go through that narrow gate by accident. You won't wake up one day and say, hey, I'm a Christian. It's that conscious, deliberate decision to submit your life to Christ to leave the broad road and to go onto the narrow road. See, Jesus says there is a wrong road. It's easy to get onto because the, the gate is wide. It's easy to stay on because it's a broad road, it's a popular road, and many enter through it. If you imagine it, this massive freeway, this massive wide road, and you've got all these signs up, one sign says, uh, no baggage limit. Just bring whatever you want onto this road. Uh, bring your sin, bring your pride, bring your selfishness, bring your personal ambitions. Just be who you are. No change required. Just do what you want to do on this road. No effort required on this road. Just keep plodding on. Everyone's welcome. Everything is permissible. Just be you. The word that struck me is down in verse 13, the word many. Many enter through that wide gate. This, this road is a busy road full of people because this road gives you this deceptive sense of freedom and independence because this is the majority, this is the world on this broad road. I was at a wedding celebration in the UK in September. I, I met somebody who I studied at university with. We did maths together. Uh, and they said to me, as they talked about ministry, oh, I was a minister of a church in Sydney, and they said, oh, uh, we've gone down such different paths, haven't we? And looking back, I should have said, I didn't say, I, I, I should have said, that's not the issue. The issue is we're on different paths. I'm on a path leading to life. Are you on that path yet? See, the scary thing is that most people are on this road and they don't even stop and think about it. 
I mean, who does that? Who gets in their car and just drives randomly on a road not knowing where they're heading? We've seen those ads for that airline. I don't know which airline it is. It says, uh, the journey is the destination. It's a load of rubbish, isn't it? The destination is a destination. You don't want to spend time on the plane. You want to get to London, get to New York, enjoy where you're heading. And Jesus says that these people on this, on this broad road are leading to destruction. The word is hell. It's the eternal punishment word. It's facing an eternity, facing the wrath of a God who has done everything possible so that you could know him. And I find it extraordinary that people are on this road heading for hell and they never stop and think about where they're heading. Are you in your 20s? Oh, what's next in life? Oh, I hope to get married by the time I'm 30. And what next? Oh, I hope to have kids at some point. And what next? Oh, you know, earn lots of money, travel the world. And what next? Oh, I guess I'll retire. And what next? Oh, I guess I die. And what next? Oh, I haven't thought about that. How can you not have thought about what happens beyond death? And Jesus has told us. He said, I am the gate. You can have life instead of death. That's what's promised in verse 14. The gate is small, the road is narrow, but it leads to life. It leads to the joy of seeing the glory of your heavenly Father. It leads to eternity in the presence of your loving, compassionate, gracious heavenly Father. It leads to eternity. This road is narrow. If you're a Christian here tonight, if you're a disciple of Jesus, I hope you find real encouragement in this and real assurance in this. He says, small is the gate because the only way is Jesus. There's no alternative way to get life. He says the road is narrow, so on this road the signs are you know, not easy to get onto, not easy to stay on. If you're here tonight and as a Christian, you feel as though the Christian life is tough and you feel as though you're constantly being challenged to make decisions which go against the world. That's a good thing. That's an encouraging thing. Because you're on the narrow road. You're not called to be like the rest of the world. You're called to be different. If you want to be popular, then you won't stay on the narrow road. But if you're willing to take up your cross daily, even when the world laughs at you, you'll find life. Stop worrying about numbers. Stop asking how many people will be there. Think about yourself. Have you entered? So if you're on this narrow road, you'll always be standing out against the crowd. So I'm going to ask you again, have you entered through that gate? Have you submitted your life to Christ? Turned off that broad road, stopped from the world, and started to focus on your Savior. When was that? Where was that? I'm not asking for times and dates. I'm saying, have you at some point in your life made that conscious decision to trust in Jesus? Are you sure? Let me tell you how you can be sure. Jesus gives us two words that helps you to be sure. The word is discernment. You can be sure that you're on the narrow road if you are wise as to who you listen to, what you read, and what determines your walk with Jesus. Jesus says some bold words in verse 15. He says, watch out for false prophets. Beware of false prophets. Have you seen those signs on a fence that says, beware the dog? 
It's pretty stupid to have a sign saying, beware the dog, if you haven't got a dog. You've just got a cuddly cat. Uh, So when Jesus says, beware the false prophets, he's not messing with your mind. He's saying, just beware of them because they exist. Uh, There's always been false prophets. There will always be false prophets. These false prophets appear in almost every New Testament letter. He's saying there'll always be people out there who talk the talk, who look the part, but they're not really on the narrow road. In fact, their purpose of existence is to entice you off that narrow road back onto the broad road. Just beware. Be discerning. Be careful who you listen to and look very closely. Again, I'm not saying be on a heresy hunt. I'm not talking about being so narrow and so blinkered that we as a church think that we know it all and we're the one-two church. That is arrogant and that is ugly. But Jesus does say, think about who you listen to. Think about what books you read. Think about who you podcast. Think about who you go to for advice. Beware of the false prophets. There's an apparently true story of a dinner party in New York. A very lavish dinner party. Posh part of New York. If you were there that night, there'd be these silver platters being handed round with hors d'oeuvres. So imagine you're there, you're dressed up, and the, the platters are being handed around, and it looks delicious. So you've got these little crackers, and so they're infused with rosemary, and there's a bit of, of meat on the top, and some imported soft cheese, and a bit of olive on the side, and, and a bit of garnish. And they're just devoured, and people just lap them up. They are delicious. They look spectacular. And so I tell you that that meat is actually dog meat. But, you know, the crackers are beautiful and the cheese is beautiful and the garnish is beautiful. And so you've just been deceived. It looks so beautiful, so you just devour it. That's what Jesus is saying about these false prophets. They look convincing. They sound convincing. It feels good. A bit of spiritual garnish, you know. Make everyone at church be okay with life. And you could be deceived. But if you're on this narrow road, you are very discerning. You recognize that some people are dangerous. They come to you, verse 15, in sheep's clothing. Uh, so they're in church, they appear legit, they look the part, they, f- they gather a following, but they're ready to devour. Inwardly, they are ferocious wolves. So how are you going to spot these people? Well, Jesus tells you twice, in case we are slow to hear. Verse 16, he says, by their fruit you will recognize them. And again, in verse 20, by their fruit, you will recognize them. They're kind of the bookends. Look at the fruit. Is it good fruit? Is it bad fruit? And Jesus changes the metaphor from sheep to trees and says, no, a tree cannot hide its identity. So, uh, verse 16, do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A thistle cannot produce figs and a thorn bush cannot produce grapes. Look at the fruit. Look at the lives of these people. Remember, Jesus told us, don't judge. He's not saying that you judge people. He says, you must be good at spotting fruit. So how are you going to be discerning? What will good fruit look like? Let me give you three things to look out for. Uh, Look at the doctrine. Look at what they preach. Uh, Do they teach the scriptures? Do they teach the scriptures in context? Do they teach the whole counsel of God? Again, it can be very subtle. 
It's often what they don't teach that will reveal to you they're a false prophet. So they, they always avoid talking about sin and never teach on holiness and never teach on wrath. They never teach on the atoning sacrifice of the cross because that's too offensive. Look at what they teach. Uh, look at what they live, how they live. Look at their conduct. Because uh, belief always impacts behavior. And you can't fool people for long. So do these people live lives consistent with what the Scripture says? Are there treasures in heaven or all here on earth? Are there relationships marked by grace and loving their enemies? Or is it all about envy and greed and pride? Uh, Look at their teaching, look at their lives, and look at their influence. Look at the people who follow them. Are, Are those people loving Jesus more, living more godly lives, finding more joy in Jesus? Be discerning. Look at the fruit. Don't mishear me. Don't be suspicious of everybody. Just be on your guard. Test everything I preach. Test everything Mark preaches. Bring your Bibles. Look at your Bibles. Switch on your brains. Don't be dazzled by packaging. Look for the content. Don't come to church wanting to be entertained. Come to church longing to know the word better so you can love Jesus more. Why you need to be discerning? Because your eternity and my eternity is at stake. The second word for you is obedience. So you can be sure that you're on the narrow road if you're discerning and if you're obedient. I read a tweet about a month ago. It struck a chord with me. It said this. Convinced more than ever that most followers of Jesus Christ are educated beyond their obedience. Convinced more than ever that most followers of Jesus Christ are educated beyond their obedience. That is true, isn't it? We can quote Bible and verse, chapter and verse. We can pass theology exams. We know right from wrong. We fill our heads stuffed with knowledge. But are we living it? Are we applying it? Are we doing it? Jesus talks about a a love that surpasses knowledge. And basically what Jesus is saying here is that it's not enough to look like a Christian or talk like a Christian. Is are you obeying Jesus Christ? Are you living out the scriptures? He has two stern warnings. And we need to hear them tonight. He says, don't just talk the talk. Please don't just talk the talk. I find verses 21 to 23 quite scary. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Look at it, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform miracles? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Lord, Lord, Master, master, sir, sir, they're they're polite, they're full of respect, they're orthodox, they're fervent, they're public. That's what's very scary. They did many things, they said many things, they were enthusiastic. And there's many of them, verse 22. Many will say to me, so what's wrong? Here's the problem. Verse 23, Jesus says, I never knew you. You talked about me being Lord, but you'd never really had that personal relationship with me as Lord of your life. You talked the words, Lord, Lord, but you didn't live it. 
verse 21. It's not about saying, Lord, Lord. It's about doing the will of my Father. It's about obeying. It's about putting the word into practice. It's about hearing the word and doing it. It's really very simple, friends. Jesus is not bothered about how loud you profess his name. He's not even concerned about how spectacular you are in your works of service. What he wants you to do is have a life lived in humble obedience to him. Just doing his will day after day, week after week, year after year. Isn't that what we pray in the Lord's Prayer? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. We're just praying that God would help us every day to do his will. To read the scriptures, to understand what God wants us to do, how to live, and just get out there and do it. See, too many Christians, they love debating what God's will is. And they love discussing what God's will is. But they don't do it. They don't put into practice what the word says. What will it mean for you and I to do the will of our Father? Well, he's told us in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, develop uh, the, the, the forgiving spirit. Learn compassion. Love your enemies. Forgive other people. Don't find your security in, in your possessions. That's what doing the will of your Father is. Imagine on the last day, Lord, Lord, but I did so many things for you at church by the bridge. Yeah, but Lord, it wasn't really for you, was it? It was actually all about your fame and your glory and your own personal fame. Uh, Lord, Lord, I had so many Christian friends, so many Christian relationships. Yeah, but look at those relationships. They were marked by envy and greed and hatred and jealousy and rage. And where was the forgiveness? Where was the loving your enemies? Oh, but Lord, I had the word Christian on my Facebook page. But did you actually live out the Christian life 24-7, just trying to obey God? Or did you just fit me into your schedule? I hope I'm being very clear here. You cannot enter the kingdom of God by doing the will of your Father. But, but if you have entered the kingdom, if you've entered through the narrow gate, the sign, the certainty, the security that you really are on that narrow road is that you are seeking to do the will of your Father. You're prayerfully depending on God each day to do his will. Don't just talk the talk. And don't just hear the word. Don't just listen to his advice and then ignore it. About five years ago when I took up triathlons, I um, bought my first bike and went to the bike shop. I knew nothing about bikes and the, uh, the shop assistants who knew lots about bikes told me there were two types of tires. There were the cheap tires costing about 60 bucks and the expensive tires costing about 120 bucks. And I was like, oh, you know, the cheap tires will do. He said, oh, look, to be honest, you're better off buying the expensive ones because the cheap tires, you know, you have so many flats that you'll actually spend more money in the long run with all these flat tires. And I ignored him. Totally ignored him, went for the cheap tires and spent a fortune buying inner tubes for flats. He knew what he was saying. I heard his words, but I chose not to do what he said. And that's the issue here. You've got the expert teacher, the master of, of this world, talking to you. And the question is, will you listen? Not just listen, 
Will you obey? That's the parable of these wise and foolish builders. They're so well known. Everyone who hears these words of mine, verse 24, these words of Jesus, and puts them into practice. Not just hears them, but puts them into practice. It's like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came, the storms rose, the winds blew. Yet it didn't fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Verse 26, everyone who hears these words of mine, they hear the words, but does not put them into practice. It's like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came, the streams rose, the winds blew, and it fell with a crash. I hope you understand that both these houses probably look the same from the outside. These two houses probably looked identical. The same paintwork, the same detail, the same double glazing, both looked attractive. They looked the same from the outside. You couldn't tell they were different. The difference is actually hidden underneath called the foundations. And lots of commentators spend time focusing on the foundations. Of course, the foundation is Jesus Christ, building your life on the rock called Jesus Christ, listening to his words, reading his words. That is true. But the point of this parable is you've got these two contrasts. You've got a wise man and a foolish man. You've got someone who obeys the word and someone who disobeys the word. They both hear the words. They both hear the building instructions, but only one chooses to put into practice. And what he's saying is, you know, in a church gathering like tonight, we're all sitting here, we hear the same sermon, we hear the same words, we sing the same songs, we can do the same courses, we can hear the same teaching. The question is, are you going to be the wise person who leaves this place tonight and sits down and says, Lord, help me to do that, help me to put into practice, or are you going to be a foolish person? who takes copious notes and leaves this building and makes not a, a dot of difference in your life. See, what staggers me is that you can have churches full of those people, memorizing scriptures, heads full of knowledge, but they never submit to the Lordship of Jesus. It doesn't change their life at all. I was thinking, why did one of the builders choose to ignore what they'd heard? Why do you think those builders chose to ignore what they heard? Uh, they were probably one of two reasons. Either they were just obsessed with the outward appearance. As long as their house looked good, they didn't care about the foundation because no one sees it. And again, I wonder whether some of us here are like that. All we cared about is being seen, making sure we're seen in the right place and with the right people, but actually there's no real submission to the Lordship of Christ in your life. Uh, the second reason I, I guess he chose to ignore it was that laying solid foundations is actually really hard work. Now when you're building a house, to actually good solid foundation is really hard work. Remove the rocks, get rid of all the, all the junk, level the land, it requires effort, it requires cost. And for some of us as Christians, we don't like that. Not the quick fix, the easy life. So how do you know? How do you know that the people next to you and you yourself are these wise people who hear the words and put into practice? One way is the fruit. You look at the fruit of people's lives. Are their lives being changed? 
the second way is a new idea that Jesus introduced. He calls it the storms. It's only when the storms come that the true foundations are exposed. The rains come, the torrents of water, the wind blows. One house is shattered, it's swept away, it's destroyed. The other house, it's shaken, it's weathered, it's battered, but it's still standing. Uh, yeah, sure, these storms, these rains, it could be ju- Judgment Day. It could be that storm on the day where we face God's wrath. More likely, it's actually the storms now. The storms of life, what, what, what the Bible talks about, trials and temptations and the persistent rainy days. It's the crisis, it's the calamity, it's the tragedy in your life. You know, when, when your securities are all stripped away, that loss of the relationship, that debilitating illness, the financial insecurities. It's when you're battered and you're bruised. The question is then, is your foundation firm? Will you trust and obey? But there's no other way. Sure, you will be sad, you're hurt, but you'll be standing firm in Jesus. I've seen it time and time and time again. It's when the trials of life comes that true faith is really exposed. And so I'm pleading with you, church, by the bridge, don't merely listen to the word, but do what it says. Just do it. What's the point of being good at being discerning and good at critiquing sermons? Uh, And what's the point of you saying to me, Paul, I've done the Bible in a year scheme. Whoopie-doo. Tick the box. The question is, how has your life changed? What are you doing differently? Let me say obeying Jesus is the most liberating, the most refreshing, the most glorious, most joyful thing. That simple day-to-day obedience. I'm going to finish this sermon by walking you through the whole of the Sermon on the Mount. And just think about whether you really are doing the will of your Father. Or how joyful your Christian life could be if you actually put this into practice. Do you want to be blessed? Do you want to leave here knowing you're blessed? Well, Jesus told you. Be poor in spirit. Mourn your sin. Be meek. Be a peacemaker. I hope at the end of the sermon series you're leaving here wanting to do the will of your Father. So you're seeking to be salt and light in your workplace. You're going to go tomorrow morning and because of this sermon, you're going to say, how can I live differently? How can I just be salt in this place and a light for Jesus in this place? And I hope that you're going to live radically righteous lives. Think about your anger problem, that person who really annoys you. But you're leaving here saying, Lord, help me, please help me. Spirit of God, please help me not to be angry. Get rid of it. I hope you're going to change what you look at. Not, not lust, not adultery, but eyes fixed on Jesus. I hope that actually by putting this word into practice, your relationships are marked by truth. You say what you mean, you mean what you say. Grace. Not, not seeking retaliation or revenge, but, but showing grace and loving your enemies. I'd love it if you as a, a disciple of Jesus left here tonight and because of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, you're not going to serve yourself. You're not seeking glory for yourself, but you put into practice by saying, not to me, but to you, Lord, be the glory. I don't need a pat on the back as long as you're glorified. I hope you put into practice by saying, 
It doesn't matter if I have the fast car. It doesn't matter if I have treasures here on earth because they're going to rot. My treasure's in heaven. Wow, Lord, help me just to, to wake up tomorrow with my eyes fixed on my heavenly treasure. I hope you're going to leave here going, I'm not worried. I'm not going to worry. I'm not going to worry. I'm going to trust God to provide. And I hope you're putting this word into practice by saying, I'm not going to judge. When, when I see somebody, I'm not going to assume I know what's happening in their life. I'm not going to judge them. I'm going to love them. And I hope you're leaving tonight going, Lord, forgive me for all my head knowledge. Forgive me for all the stuff I know about you that I've just filed away and never applied to my life. Lord, just show me one thing I can do this week. Just one thing I can do to put this word into practice. That's a true disciple. They're the people that Jesus is talking to. So I'm going to pray for us, for me and for you, that we will be assured, discerning and obedient. Enter through the narrow gate. Our Lord Jesus, we praise you We praise you that you humbled yourself. You came to earth. We thank you for your teaching, for your life, for your compassion, for your mercy. We thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for your empty tomb. We thank you you ascended, that you seat at the right hand of your Father now. Lord, we thank you that we can be certain that we're on that narrow road that leads to life. Lord, please help us to stick on that road. Please, Lord, help us to be wise as to who we listen to and what we read. And, Lord, forgive us for times we just know so much, but we don't do it. Help us to be people whose obedience matches what we know. Lord, help us just to do it. In Jesus' precious name.